This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by Artbase. You're tracking a blue chip art collection, so why are you using cheap art collection database software? Artbase is the leading luxury collection management software platform in the world. It's totally secure, full-featured, customizable, and easy to use on computers, iPads, and iPhones. Artbase comes with plenty of training and support to get you going and keep you efficient. Unlike most management systems, with Artbase, only you have access to your information on your computers. So visit Artbase.com today to find out more. This week's episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Art Tactics Art Forecaster Grand Slam May Competition. The competition consists of predicting what artworks were sold for that are coming up at auction. The May competition includes Impressionist, Modern, Post-War, and Contemporary artworks at Christie's, Sotheby's, Phillips, and Bonhams. If you haven't yet signed up to play, do so now at artforecaster.com. This May's competition has some incredible prizes, including a Brian Calvin limited edition signed print, a personalized signed copy of economist Don Thompson's brand new book on the art market, The Orange Balloon Dog, and an art tactic artist report. We recently completed analyses of the markets of Rudolf Stingle, Damien Hurst, Christopher Wool, Mark Grochon, and others. Thanks for downloading the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. In this week's episode, we're joined by dealer and author Kenny Schachter, ahead of next week's major New York auctions. Kenny, thanks for speaking with us. My pleasure. Before we jump into the auctions, you were in New York over the, this weekend for Freeze and TAFAF, uh, and you actually just wrote an article on the art fairs uh, available on Artnet News about the brewing art, field ba- art fair battles that are ongoing. What were some of your takeaways from the fair this year? And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about your thoughts on this uh, brewing battle. Well, I mean, I think we're in a kind of unprecedented stage over the past 30 years that I've been paying attention in terms of the role and the influence and the import of the growing, of the growing number of art fairs. So recently, as many people are aware, the MCH, the owner of the Basel Fairs, has announced the program to launch a series of regional fairs to buttress their main fair business. So it would be a separate division of the Basel, Miami, Switzerland, and Hong Kong. And the first fair that they've announced, or one of the first, is in Dusseldorf, which is in direct competition with Cologne, which is about 40 minutes away by train. So my theory is basically that we're in this kind of mode of combat where people are trying to reach out and control the most segments that they can in various hubs across the world as the fairs become an ever increasing uh, supply chain for the art community to, to purchase works from. For a long time, Younger speculated upon zombie formalist artists is what they were called, uh, came up often in conversations when people were talking about the art markets. They seem to have come and gone for the most part. You're always engaged in conversing about the market and the latest trends. What is it that people are discussing right now? What's on everyone's minds? I mean, it's interesting because I just had a talk yesterday at the London Business School, and one of the topics that I addressed was the phenomenon of the whole zombie formalist thing. And really, I mean, if you look back, the, the, you know that the very first standalone only sale comprised fully of contemporary art was only in the year 2002 when contemporary art, the profit center of where the money is being made in the auction uh, world shifted from impressionist to modern 
and it's been shifting over the course of only the last 15 years. So believe it or not, Jeff Koons' record was set the first time contemporary art appeared in an evening sale after the Skull sale in the 70s was in 1997, and Jeff Koons' record was set at $250,000, uh, below the 260000 that was set for Kiki Smith and also for Robert Gober. So I think that, I mean, when you, when you look at, at the zombie formalist period, which lasted all for a matter of like three years, it was the first time because the market progressed so much that there could be pure speculation in the realm of the very young emerging artists where you had artists like Lucian Smith, his first piece coming up for sale when he was 24 years old in an evening sale, fetching $400,000 to the McGrabbies. And I think as much has been said and written about this movement, if you calculate the gross amount of money spent on the entire zone of zombie formalism, you'll come up with a very small number, all told. So I think really it was just a kind of an aberration and a reflection of nothing more than kind of greed and people trying to manipulate the markets of these young artists, and it's just vanished from one day to the next. And in place of that, I think there's been kind of a, I guess, more of a wave of conservatism that swept over the market where the only thing you hear about now are obvious things by obvious people. And that's where we are today. And as we head into these May major auctions, how would you describe the state of the market in terms of how weak, strong it is? And do you see in the near future it uh, going up or down in one direction? I think, I mean, it's a great question. And I was just thinking about this before ahead of our discussion today, but if you, I don't think the art market has had any catastrophic um, performances. If you look at, if you look over the course of since, like let's say the financial crisis, among the very worst ever suffered economically across the globe, art has performed so extraordinarily well in relationship to what you might have expected. Again, in relationship to the overall macro global economic situation. So, although you could. The only way to really judge the art market is on the year-to-year sales or the gross volume of business that the auction houses do on a given year, because that's really the only credible or fairly credible um, results that we have, that we can judge by. You can't ask the galleries; you'll never get a straight answer, basically. So when you look and you see that over the past couple of years, I mean, the headlines scream constantly about how the overall gross sales of Sotheby's and Christie's and Phillips have been trending down, but it's more a matter of the fact of the lack of confidence in people to sell great masterpieces unless they felt that there was a commensurate commensurate demand enough to warrant people selling their treasures. And over the past couple of years, the market confidence has been slowly kind of creeping back to levels that it was when the market was at its highest. So because there's been a fairly strong level of performance, albeit at lower level that levels than in recent years past, the performance over the past two or three years has been good enough that we've gotten to the point where we are this May, where I think that Christie's in particular has among the best sales that I, I mean, you could see masterpieces that you rarely, if ever see come up for auction, and we're going to see profoundly good results. So like, I'm genuinely optimistic because besides the fact that I love so much what I do and my passion is so overwhelming for the art art in general, but I truly think that we're going to have some absolutely standout performances this May. Well, let's jump into that. Ahead of next week's major May post-war and contemporary auctions, Art Tactics 
art forecaster competition is going on in which players predict what prices artworks up for auction will sell for. And for our listeners who still haven't entered the competition, there's still time at artforecaster.com. And Kenny, you've picked a few artworks um, that are in the competition and also will be up for auction that you'll uh, that have interested you and you'll be keeping an eye on during the week to see how they do. So let's jump in to some of these. And uh, it'd be great if you could share your thoughts in terms of uh, why you think they're interesting lots and how you think they'll do. So starting at Christie's, uh, the first one you selected was an Andy Warhol dollar sign uh, carrying an estimate of six to eight million dollars. So you're going to hold me to these prognostications and they'll come back to haunt me if I'm inaccurate. That's, you're, you're going on the record. It takes guts. <laughs> I mean, Warhol is a very interesting phenomenon. I mean, his auction record is over $100 million. And of course, he's one of the staples of the contemporary art market. And he's been one of the leading lights of the market over the years. But in the recent immediate past, there's been a bit of a plateauing of his prices or a setback even. And it's hard to describe what could make an artist who's so canonized and so universally adored and collected, what would make the market set back to the extent that it has in a, in a way. And mainly, again, it reverts back to our great things coming up to market that can garner this huge prices that generate all the headlines. And it just hasn't happened since two great Warhols were sold that had been in a German casino for decades. So this particular dollar sign is, I'm not certain of the finite details about the condition and the full provenance of the piece, but it's a very large dollar sign in very appealing and attractive colors. So it's this universal symbol of money and wealth and success. And I think that the estimate has taken into consideration the fact that there's been a bit of a flatness in the market. So the estimate, I believe, is six to eight million. And for a painting that I think is 70 by 90 inches, a very big painting, a formidable presence and a significant painting, I believe that it should perform at least over the low estimate, if not above the high estimate. And the next lot you picked from Christie's is a Basquiat painting, La Hara. It has a 22 to $28 million estimate. Um, it's a portrait and it's 72 by 47 inches. Great. I mean, there's a lot of fervor in the Basquiat market today. From my understanding, I mean, no one's listening. No one's going to come back to me. And if I tell you the gossip that I've heard that it's a painting being sold by Stevie Cohen, which I think has been reported. But what hasn't been reported is the fact that, from my understanding, it's been guaranteed by David Geffen. So the painting will perform well because it's guaranteed. And due to the fact that uh, there's another painting guaranteed by Sotheby's between 60 and $65 million, because the painting is guaranteed, from what I understand, around $23 million, we could be sure that it'll at least make that. And in relationship to the other painting, it should perform quite well. And the next work from Christie's that you picked was a Bruce Nauman, Untitled Three Small Animals. It's a sculpture, two to three uh, million dollar estimate. Um, why did you pick this one and how do you think it'll do? Well, I mean, I've, I'm, I've just personally been absolutely head over heels in love with the work of Bruce Nauman since the beginning of my career three decades ago. And I think he's such a profoundly important and serious and just phenomenal artist. And while, I mean, his auction record, I think is around $10 million for a major neon piece, but generally speaking, his prices have been ludicrously undervalued in relationship to his peers. There aren't many of them that have had that much institutional support that he's had and critical support and how well-regarded his work is across the globe. So there has been a lot of trading 
in the market, taking into consideration the fact that he's having a major uh, Museum of Modern Art retrospective, and then not just one Tate show in the UK, but two Tate shows uh, at the same time, more or less. So I think that this is really the moment for Bruce Nauman, and there's absolutely no way the piece will not perform above the high estimate. And the next work you picked was a Rudolf Stengel called Untitled After Sam. It's a massive painting, 132 by 180 inches, 10 to $15 million estimate. Um, that's far above his previous auction record. Um, what is your take on the Stengel market at the moment, and uh, what do you think about this work? Well, I mean, this is, again, this, I, I'm very proactive in the market and have been very involved. I love the work and have collected the work and bought and sold the work over the course of the last 10 years. So it's another interesting story because there are, there are pieces which we may discuss or may not of like Mark Rochon, for instance, who's 49 years old and whose auction record is near $7 million. And he has pieces uh, estimated at twice that. And I think Rudolf Stengel in his early sixties has had incredible institutional support and wonderful critical response. But even though his prices have been high, his auction record stands at $4.7 million. But that's really, relatively, relatively speaking, quite low in relationship to someone like Christopher Wool or Mark Rochon. So this is really, this may, one of the biggest tests of the entire slate of auctions are the works of Rudolf Stengel, because there's not only this gigantic portrait up for sale, and I think the only two or three other pieces from this series, which is very prominently figured into his body of work, these very small self-portraits or very large self-portraits, and the, I think all of the other large ones are in institutional hands other than this painting. So for instance, there's a gold, a bronze, like a, I guess it's gold colored brass cast. One of them is six panels and one of them is four panels that are also coming up for sale with estimates around five to $7 million. And then another piece at Phillips with a lower estimate, but this piece estimated at 10 to 15 million from what I've heard on the street, they're expecting it to exceed the high estimate and expecting a price between 15 and $20 million. So even though it would be relatively prohibitively gigantic in relationship to other works, so much less collectible by most people, because it's such a rare piece and such a significant aspect of his body of work, I would agree that it would go over the high estimate. And the next one at Christie's that you picked, you just alluded to him a moment ago, Christopher Wool. This one's called Untitled, but it says has the word please on it six times, repeating um, 96 by 60 inches, 15 to 20 million uh, estimate on this one. So, I mean, again, there's been a little bit of a setback in the work of Christopher Wool, just because it's, I mean, his auction record is around $30 million, and he's the same age as Stingle. So you could see how the Stingle becomes more appealing at 10 to $15 million in relationship to wool. But even though the work has been, had a bit of a slowdown, still, I think this is a major piece from a famous collection. From my understanding, it's guaranteed and it should perform very well. It won't, it can't not perform well. And just two more from Christie's. One, you picked uh, Marcel Duchamp, three standard stoppages, relatively low estimate compared to some of the other items we've discussed so far, 1.2 to $1.8 million. What do you think about this one? I mean, it, I think the work is very cerebral and it's very much a kind of connoisseur's piece of work because it can't just be hung on the wall like a canvas. It's not readily identifiable like a kind of brand that many artists have turned into nowadays, like Damien and Jeff Koons, etc. So I think that even though it's a, it's a wildly difficult piece 
in terms of its palatability from more commercially minded collectors. But again, the name is so profoundly well embraced that, you know, there's enough people that would either trade off of the name of Duchamp because it's so rare for great pieces to come up with auction. And like you said, it's conservatively estimated. So, I mean, I sound foolishly bullish and wildly idealistic about how these sales will perform, but that's how excited I am in relationship to how I think they're going to do compared to the last couple of years. And lastly, at Christie's, you mentioned his name a few moments ago, Mark Rochon, um, the large uh, face abstract face painting, 101 by 73 inches, 13 to $16 million uh, estimate, uh, far exceeding his previous auction record, as you indicated. I know you've written about Grochon kind of at length in those markets. Um, here we are now. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on uh, the work and how it will do? I must say that my, the enthusiasm that I've just expressed over the past 10 minutes is tempered when it comes to this subject. And whether or not, I mean, even putting aside the fact of the underlying quality and the merit of his particular body of work, I just think in my entire life involved in the art world, I have never seen such a meteoric rise and something which seems so utterly disconnected to the body of work. It's the level of institutional support, how many museum shows have there been over the year, what over the years, and what, what's the degree of critical response. And, you know, nothing, not even, uh, no, nothing met this disrespectfully to the artist or in any way dismissive of his actual, of his paintings, I just think I've never seen in my entire life such a market phenomenon to the extent that a triptych of his sold for nearly $45 million, which almost seems immoral to me. So as bullish as I am about everything else we've discussed so far and probably will in the next five minutes, I must say that I have a degree of hesitation or doubt that, I mean, look, because there's so much price momentum in terms of his market and it's been so strong and so widely publicized as such, I'm sure these works will do well, but I can't say, I mean, if there is some kind of an art God, the prices (laughs) really need to correct themselves because it's just not right. No artist at that age, at that stage of their career warrants selling a painting for 15 million or 20 million or 30 million. It's just not right. If you ask me. (laughs) So, I think it'll be a bit tepid. I can't imagine there's a, the air is, must be very thin at that level for his paintings. Maybe someone will step up because they're familiar with the name and they've seen it in their friend's house, but I'm not sure that I would be a buyer anywhere near that number for that painting. All right. Now let's move on to Sotheby's where you picked, picked four lots uh, from their sale, the first of which is a Rudolph Stingle. Um, this one, more abstract. Uh Aesthetically, nothing like the one at Christie's. Um, and this one has a 5 to $7 million estimate. Right. That's the cast, which is six panels. From my understanding, it's owned by a collector, Canadian collector, Francois Odermatt. And I guess it was a kind of speculative. I mean, there's a, these pieces that are, he made these pieces out of a material, an insulation material called Celotex. And the premise to the body of work was that you would come into the gallery or the museum and you would be not only permitted to touch it, but you would be permitted to gouge into the surface and graffiti the painting and make your own mark on his very painting. So Stengel was making this leap of faith and having the audience become the final arbiter of what his actual pieces would become. The problem, although these pieces are quite beautiful and elegant to look at, is that I believe that they have quite a serious archival problem because the material is this kind of insulation material, and over the course of time, it dries out and flakes. 
So what the artist did, which is a kind of conceptual remove from the initial piece, after you went and carved your name in it and who you loved when you were in high school and made some pictures, he went and cast a group of these pieces in brass, which has a gold appearance in the year 2012. And that was really the only year that he made this small group of work. But they're kind of very bling and very attractive and seductive to people. So they've been trading at ever-increasing amounts in the private market. So again, there are two pieces coming to sale. One, there's a sale called like Death in America, which is someone who was allegedly a super uh, committed collector who turned around, which is nothing unusual nowadays, back to the kind of zombie flipping material. But this guy is having a collection uh, of a, a sale of 50 of his pieces. So there's a four panel cast and a six panel cast of Stengo that are both being offered one at Sotheby's and one at Christie's. But really, like I said, in terms of Stingo, in relationship, say, to Mark Rochon, which I just mentioned, Stingo's prices are dramatically less. There are two very, very attractive, very seductive, very collectible, easily recognizable pieces by Stengo made in a very limited amount. So I would imagine that it would, it would go over the high estimate. And the next lot you picked at Sotheby's is... Um, the top lot there, the Basquiat, um, it's called Untitled. Untitled, it's a skull kind of portrait. Um, carrying estimate on request, we've heard 60, 65, 70 million. Um, right. Yeah. How do you think this one will end up? Uh, I doing? mean, the fact is, the fact is that this, the, the question is moot because the deal has been made and Sotheby's was bending over backwards to step up their game and compete against Christie's, which had already secured an extraordinary uh, a sale of great depth and great quality. So Sotheby's was playing a game of catch-up at a very high price level. So if you look at the previous painting, which was the closest that they were gauging in their comparison in making this agreement to sell pre-sell this painting, which may have been bought in-house by Sotheby's, that's been some of the speculation but there was a painting that Adam Lindemann sold for $57 million to Miyazawa, to the Japanese collector, with a $40 million guarantee. And this painting is substantially better and probably in better condition than that painting was because it seemed to me to be profusely cracked just to the naked eye looking at the surface of the last painting that went for 57 So really, the story is told. Someone has gone to the lanes, whether it's Sotheby's as a company or a mixture of Sotheby's and third-party guarantors, but Basquiat is on his way to 100 million, which will happen in the next two years. And the next lot that you selected at Sotheby's is an artist we haven't discussed so far, Jonas Wood. Um, he has a black still life painting, 250 to $350,000. Um, has a black background, a lot of these plants um, in the foreground that Jonas is known for painting. He's, um, you know, it feels like he's painting a lot of works. He's in a lot of shows. Um, he's definitely become a household name. What are your thoughts on him and his, as an artist and his market, as well as this particular work? I mean, I think the work is very palatable and easy on the eye. And typically the works of his that are most sought after are these very detailed room interiors. He paints plants in his own very distinct way, which really kind of encapsulates the kind of Los Angeles aesthetic and, and sensibility to it. And he's had a run-up in prices over the years with this generation of younger artists. A lot of them have had price resistance and significant fallings off in their market. But Jonas has been steady, has good representation, and I think that there's still a strong demand for his work. I mean, because it incorporates the things that he's most known for are the plants. And also his wife is, is an extraordinarily accomplished ceramicist. Uh, 
And when he incorporates her designs into the paintings, they're even more covetable. Her pottery, which this painting also uh, has in its composition. So his market, I'm not quite sure what his auction record is. I believe it's between six and $800,000. And he's a very, he's a relatively young artist, but because this piece is well, it's very well um, estimated, well below his high, his high auction record. So it has the plants, it has the pottery, and most significantly, it doesn't have a greedy pre-sale estimate. So I would say it will perform over its high estimate, without a doubt. And lastly, at Sotheby's, there's one more Mark Roach on face painting in the auctions, and it's at Sotheby's. <laughs> it has a six to eight million dollar estimate. It's it's a bit smaller than the one at Christie's. This one's fifty by thirty nine and a half yeah. inches. Um, and the estimate was six to eight million. Right. I mean, I could tell you the whole gossip story if, if you really want to know, since it's just between me and you. Exactly. Um, this painting was offered to me was offered to me by a hedge fund collector quotes collector. And he was basically using me to try to gauge the market. When I had an offer on his painting, I had a call from the very friend of mine who made the offer on the painting and said they had seen, they had seen the very work for private sale at Christie's for $9 million. And I confronted the person because they were asked specifically asked me to come into their home, look at the painting, value the painting and help them to sell it. And then I confronted the man and he said, it's not my painting directly. And he sent me an image of what he said was his painting. And he had done a very crude Photoshop uh, manipulation of his piece to try to tell me that his piece was different from the one that was being offered for $9 million private treaty uh, at Christie's. So from my understanding, again, is that the McGrabbies bought the painting for $6 million. And I'm sure that they won't let it sell below that or the market won't let it sell below that. It's a 2011 painting. But again, like I said, I mean, if there's an art god, sooner or later there's going to be a correction in these prices because whether you like the work or not, or whether it's good or bad, I'm not even saying, I just believe there's unhealthy price escalation in the past couple of years. I don't believe it could sustain itself. And let's move on to Phillips, where you've picked two lots, first of which uh, one of the top lots in their sale, a very large Peter Doig painting called Rosedale from 1991. It's estimate on request We've heard twenty-five, thirty-five million. Um, what do you think about this work? Well, I mean, <laughs> I always get into trouble whenever I open my mouth, especially when there's a <laughs> tape recorder or even my own keyboard at hand. But it's been guaranteed by the by the house of Phillips, meaning the Russian partners that own the company. And look, there's been, I mean, even like Peter Doig in relationship to Mark Rochon, Peter Doig has been at it longer has more museum support and a wider variety of output. So this is a big and substantial and relatively attractive painting, but being guaranteed by the house at 28 million, which is my understanding, I would say there's a damn good chance that this painting could end up over the fireplace of the owner of Phillips because it's an attractive painting. It incorporates some of the um, elements that are most sought after in the work, architectural elements of Peter Doig, the trees, the houses, but I just think there's one tree that predominates the composition. And in my estimation, it kind of detracts from the overall balance of the painting. And I'm not quite sure that they're going to get out of their guarantee on that one. And lastly, uh, last lot here for the podcast is a Richard Prince called Going, 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 also at Phillips, um, four to $600,000. Has some text on the bottom as well as some uh, some graphics on the, in the 
predominant area of yeah. the painting. What is your takeaway on this work? Well, I mean, there's been some softness in which I, I love. I think Richard Prince is an incredible artist. And I, more than anything, I just, I, I can't believe the way at his age, well into his sixties, he continues to provoke people in so many different ways, whether it's revoking the underlying artiness of a piece of art that he sold to Ivanka Trump or making his own brand of marijuana and actually genetically engineering it and designing his own rolling paper and designing the covers of High Times magazine. Everything he does continues to push the button of culture. And I mean, he's literally, I'm an ex-lawyer and the, the, the legal body of work, the legal uh, cases that have been brought against Richard Prince will be studied in law school for, <laughs> for decades to come, I assure you. And really, he's absolutely changed the fundamental definition, the legal definition of what constitutes enforceable copyright. So in these ways, it's just such, Richard Prince is a great story. Just he's continued to reinvent himself in so many different ways. I'm not nuts about his body of work over the last 10 years or whichever period that this piece falls from. So, I mean, his early, the first series of monochromatic joke paintings I think that they'll sell for $20, $30 million. He kind of bifurcated a monochromatic canvas with a joke. It almost has a kind of like Rothko-esque quality to the composition of the painting. This is a joke painting. It's not among his most sought after. The only thing that's really going for the painting is a relatively low estimate, but I can't really see it going much more than four or $500,000. Kenny, thanks so much for your time and coming on the podcast and sharing your thoughts on these lots that uh, you'll be following. They're really, really interesting to hear your commentary and opinions on everything. Um, and of course, our listeners can check out your writing um, on Artnet, um, as well as other publications. Um, we really appreciate it. Thanks, Kenny. Thank you for listening. This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast was brought to you by Artbase. You're tracking a blue chip art collection, so why are you using cheap art collection database software? Artbase is the leading luxury collection management software platform in the world. Totally secure, full-featured, customizable, and easy to use on computers, iPads, and iPhones. Unlike most collection management systems, with Artbase, only you have access to your information on your computers. So visit artbase.com today to find out more.